sometimes having the office could be a distraction too, where you constantly have people coming in and you don't get enough time to work this way. You tell you, you can meet remotely and you get the work and you can focus on getting things done. So I think the, even the, the delivery of the legal service could is, is ripe for disruption. Okay, Suresh, thank you for joining us in the BoomX podcast. Um, we're here with the, and the new set and a new system. It took us a while to get set it up, but uh, thank you for joining us and thank you for your patience. Thank you very much, Bobby, for having me and for inviting me. I'm really thrilled to be part of this and I look forward to speaking to you. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we've had a, a few lawyers um, come join us on the show, uh, all in different capacities. Some of them have been part of the legal tech movement. Some of them are, you know, service startups. And some of them themselves, uh, you know, have entrepreneurial visions. And you seem to encapsulate all these kind of uh, these these realms. Um, you know, we got connected on LinkedIn pretty recently, though. You know, we've known each other for a while, uh, at least, uh, you know, in name. But um, you know, so I wanted to really have you on because you're well accomplished. You know, you have quite a few degrees behind you. You're you're very knowledgeable, and you're involved in a great uh, in a, in a different uh, in a in a bunch of different startup initiatives. So, can we start with an introduction about uh, what you do? Uh, thank you. So my name is Suresh. Uh, I'm a startup lawyer. I recently got my license and I wanted to start on my own and uh, started Suresh Law Professional Corporation. But my background, as you were pointing out, is more on the technology and business side and on the, in the startup world. Uh, at the moment, I'm focusing on the law practice, which is the Suresh Law, and I'm also involved in other entrepreneurial capacities. I'm the COO at a company called CSI. I'm the executive director of Mosaic Lab, which is an incubator for technology startups, primarily in Scarborough and surrounding areas. And Mosaic Ventures is the investment arm. Uh, and then in addition to that, I'm also, while, you know, while doing the law practice, I'm focusing on startups and helping the startups given my background. And I'm also looking at gaps in the legal industry in terms of where technology can be leveraged, so providing legal tech solutions but I'm really just studying, identifying different gaps to see what tools could be beneficial to lawyers and also what platforms or tools could be beneficial directly to the consumers. But, you know, I'm not going to rush into that. I'm going to take my time to, uh, to figure things out in that space. But so I'm really thrilled to be in this interesting mix of, you know, I'm new to the practice of law, but I'm not new to technology and entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I continue to exist in that space and, so it, I'm very thrilled to have this additional tool in my in my toolkit to provide legal services for the startups that I have already been working with uh, for over a decade now. So I'm really excited to be in this new space. Uh, so that's kind of in a nutshell the different hats that I wear in uh, addition to being a father and uh, husband at home. Of course. So uh, let's uh, like uh, decompress that. So you you uh, I believe did an undergraduate in um, electrical engineering. Yeah, so in terms of degree, sorry, I, I skipped that part. Yeah. Uh, I did an electrical engineering degree uh, in Waterloo, uh, at Waterloo, and then I did a Bachelor of Arts at Waterloo as well. Then I did an MBA in strategy at Wilfrid Laurier. Then I did my law degree. I started my, I did my first year at the University of Ottawa, then I transferred to Osgoode Hall Law School and wow. completed my law degree at Osgoode Hall. Yeah, I mean, that, that's quite a list of accomplishments. Uh, most people are lucky to get one, two degrees out of their careers. You, you have, you have four at at, at various institutions. Uh, what led you down that path to, uh, you know, uh, pursue those education? I, I think just life takes you in different paths, right? Uh, to be honest, uh, I never planned on becoming a lawyer. I never planned on having four degrees. I did always want to be an engineer from my childhood days, uh, as you know, many Tamil mm-hmm. parents kind of tell you, you're going to be an engineer or a doctor. So that was kind of my, the story of my life. Yeah. My uncle was an engineer, so I was going to be an engineer. Yeah. So that's just since childhood. But going to Waterloo was a dream uh, that, I, that, that came into my mind at a young age. At the age of 13, I moved from Montreal, where my family lived, to live with some family friends in Toronto to increase my chance of going to the University of Waterloo. So I had that mm. dream, and that was the vision. I wanted to be an engineer. Eventually, I wanted to do an MBA. Uh, so that was really the plan. Then life takes you in different paths. Uh, as you're, as most people are, would be aware, like, you know, I had some challenges in my life. So 
those challenges led me to kind of reevaluate what you know those experiences led me to reevaluate what I wanted to do so dealing with lawyers and working with lawyers and I learned to appreciate the impact the positive impact it can have on people to help people out so that's how I became interested in law uh, it took me some time to get the confidence uh, and to to realize whether this is the right path for me to switch into mm-hmm. uh, so I just went to the process and uh, I didn't jump on it right away because I was hesitant initially thinking how could a lawyer become a uh, a lawyer, uh, sorry, how come an engineer become a lawyer? Do I even have the skills? Can I do it? Uh, so I was in confidence. But eventually I overcame that and just went for that. And uh, one thing I, I do is that once I, I take time to make my decisions, but once I make a decision, then I just stick to the plan and just I, I just work work towards it. So a lot of hardships, a lot of sacrifices, but uh, I didn't turn turn back. I just, I just get things done. That's it. So yeah, I mean, here I am. Absolutely. Like uh, definitely that takes a lot of determination and focus, uh, you know, to get those kind of degrees, especially at those institutions. Um, you know, I, I've always found that engineers, like classically trained engineers that transfer to other career paths, take the take the level of engineering, uh, like thought processes with them and they start breaking problems down. Have you like, you know, yeah. looked at the legal industry or um, any, any any industry that lens of the engineer of how you can decomp- uh, deconstruct it and rebuild? Yeah, you're correct about that. Like, you know, like our foundational training in engineering learn, teaches you to solve problems, to have processes, to follow processes, to have checklists. Uh, interestingly, in uh, in my first year at Ottawa, the, uh, the law school dean said, you know, we have few engineers who come to law, our program and engineers always do well uh, because they, they understand checklists, they understand processes, they understand solving problems. And that's really what law is about. Uh, it's about solving problems for your clients or solving problems at a, at a bigger scale. Uh, so, and I, I, I didn't get it fully at that point, but I appreciate what he meant now. Uh, and so, you know, in the same light, I think I always, because my foundational training is in engineering, I try to apply that in, in law as well to think about when I'm working on every client file, but also broader than that, broader than that in terms of the industry and how services can be provided. Where is the trend going? How can we, what is the real problem? What can be solved and how can we solve it to better serve the clients and better serve society? So I'm always thinking outside the box, thinking of the bigger problem that we're, that I'm trying to solve. Even though as a lawyer, similar to doctors, you know, uh, as an entrepreneur and as an engineer, you're solving one big problem. But as a lawyer or as a doctor, you're solving thousands of problems because every client has a different problem. Uh, so. I got to I got to be careful when I'm dealing with the client's problem. I'm dealing with that, but when I have my free time, I'm thinking about the bigger picture of what is the big problem here that I can solve to help all these clients. What is the common team? Uh, what can be done to help everybody better to provide the service? Better? I mean, that's uh, that's quite a suite of services you can get in a boutique firm, right? Like being able to get like a a, a, a um, legal a legal help from you know uh, from a lawyer and get legal services, but also get the mind of an engineer to look at it, also an MBA. Um, can, can we talk about uh, some clients, some kind of work you've done uh, with free clients? Like what type of clients do you generally work with at what level, what scale? Yeah, so you should. I should just point out that I became licensed uh, just recently in October, and then I started my practice right away in November. Mm-hmm. So I'm really just two, three, two, three months into this. Okay. But I've been blessed, given my network and my reputation, I've been blessed with having clients, you know, keeping me busy by calling. I get calls all the time. Uh, so the work that I'm primarily focusing on doing is the business and technology law for the startups and professionals. Mm. So what that means, so I'm trying to be a one-stop shop to serve the entrepreneurs and professionals. Uh, but in the primary areas of law being business and technology law. So the work I have been doing is related to business law, technology law, and complementary or supplementary areas of law, such as some real estate, some wills, and some employment law, some business immigration. But I have, been, I have not been doing any criminal law, personal injury law, for example, or immigration law in general. Uh, so that type of work, I've been able to leverage my network and refer to other lawyers. Mm. So in terms of the key specific type of work I've been doing in the last three months are helping startups to plan out 
uh, how to get started in, in the initial stages so whether it's a lot of incorporation work I have done and all the planning in any agreements that's needed after the in incorporation so like you know share how, how are you going to distribute the shares how are you going to plan for raising funds and what needs to be done and how are you going to be ready to get your first customers so any contract that's needed how are you going to deal with hiring your first employees what are the employment contracts and what are the things you need to be careful about and then also when you're dealing with the renting spaces all that lease agreements uh how to you know what are the things you should be watch what be watching out for so that type of advising uh, because a lot of entrepreneurs can do a lot of these incorporation work online themselves also mm -hmm. but what you get out of going to a lawyer is the strategy the advice the, to make sure you're doing the right thing so you don't have to do something on your own and then realize you made a mistake and then come back so i have clients who are at that stage too where they did things on their own and they realized that you know what uh, i need i better get some advice before i go further or there's a, i hit a roadblock here and i now need the help of a lawyer to kind of fix things up <laughs> a little bit so they come back. So I deal, deal with different stages where they're coming early or they're coming after the fact or a little bit later in the game, right? Coming for damage uh, control. But damage control or after the damage <laughs> on how it can be fixed. But it's all interesting and different things from a, from a lawyer's point of view and we try to help. Uh, and what I'm, you know, the, you know one, one thing is that when you're coming out as a newly minted lawyer, if you're working as part of a firm, uh, you, so I didn't have to do my articling training, so I worked under a couple of firms to get my articling training, which is mandatory. But even otherwise, if you work as part of a law firm for a few years, you get the benefit of having to, the ability to rely on other colleagues who are working in the firm to constantly get help from. But uh, in my case, I wanted to start on my own, but I am blessed to have peers, other lawyers and mentors who are supporting me to deal with every every client's files that, that I have questions about. So. It's still a nice setup, and I'm I'm grateful to have those mentors and colleagues within within the community and outside, who have been very generous with their time and helping me. Yeah, I mean, mentors are definitely um, uh, like uh, instrumental in getting started up and moving forward, right? Um, yeah. Can we talk a little about um, this incubator you're involved with with CSI? I, I, yeah. I know Stan for a long time. I know he's been he had plans to open up this incubator. Can we talk about that? Yeah, so Mosaic Lab is the incubator that I'm part of. So CSI is a company that I'm the chief operating officer. So CSI pretty much invested in a few startups and they did it through Mosaic Lab and we wanted to really take it to the next level to open it up for other startups to be part of it and other investors and other mentors to come in and mentor. And uh, you know, we, we the, the vision when it was started three, four years ago was to kind of be in this area where you have a lot of uh, immigrants who are in this area and who don't have access to going to the downtown uh, incubators who are very local and they they're new to the country or they're working on a new technology idea and they need the support so that's why we wanted to be you know the founders are you know from scarborough the csi from scarborough wanted to serve people from this area mm -hmm. and surrounding areas with uh, helping startups but it was kind of put on hold for a little bit because of a large contract that was that the company received which is how I was brought in uh, to uh, be the VP of project, uh, projects to implement a new facility in the West Coast uh, for a large uh, client. So I implemented that and was promoted as COO. And then because after, after that, I'm like, okay, you know what? And when I came onto the role, it was Mosaic Lab that actually got me to accept the role because before I came here, I was the CEO of uh, Aridmad, which was the parent company of Lancaster. Mm -hmm. So during that time, Stan was already talking to me and um, he was talking a lot about the Mosaic Lab doing the incubator. So that's what I was interested in. I came in and to revive it, to, to take it to the next level. So now we're in the process. Now that the VC project is done, we're slowly building up and then COVID hit, but we're still moving forward to to really mobilize resources. We're bringing on at the moment, we're re revamping the website, which will be launched with, with tons of new advisors who will be advising on different capacities. And we're trying to have two approach to this. So if you look at, Incubators, traditionally incubators, you know, pretty much pick a few startups to incubate and they'll provide all the resources to them. And sometimes they'll take a stake in it and so on, right? But with the Mosaic Lab, we're trying to do two approach, two tier approach. So that that is one part of it that we will do, continue to do as we have already been doing. The other part is being like a one-stop shop where 
startups could come with whether it's legal service or financial advice or something they need where they would normally go to a lawyer or a financial advisor, they can come for one particular need. And we would, you know, using our advisors network, we would provide that specific service, like a shop basically provide the specific service to the startup. So now we, all of a sudden we can cater to hundreds of startups because they don't have to be accepted through an you know, intake process, they could just be coming in for one particular service. Hey, I'm facing this problem. So it's really a problem place for you to come to access resources. So I, I'm facing this small problem, whether it's on the HR side or on the legal side, can somebody at Mosaic Lab help? So now we have a network of 25 or so advisors. So one of them will be able to help you with that. Mm. So you know what I mean? So rather than having this big commitment of having to be accepted and we can only serve a handful of uh, Starters, we can also have a two-tier approach where we are working closely with that handful that we have taken in, but this, it's also open for any other small business because nowadays, if you look at it on Instagram and LinkedIn, you, every, a lot of people are, uh, whether it's full-time or on the side, they, they, they're having the courage and the interest to start a, uh, start a lot of small businesses. You know, my wife is doing cakes right now, so that's a new hobby, and she's doing that as a side business. Mm-hmm. So it's nice to see that ecosystem of, uh, you know, entrepreneurs coming up and they may not have the resources to be, you know, part of an incubator if they have to go through the process of being taken in, but they may have a small problem that they can get help on, whether it's marketing, legal, and so on. So to be able to cater to those small businesses is the idea that, uh, that the way I kind of, I actually gave the suggestion that we should reposition it this way and stand approved. So we're kind of going forward in that way. So you can be more accessible to more people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that's re- that's really cool that um, you know you take on this initiative because Scarborough is really under resourced when it comes to startup resources. Um, you know, back when I, I was um, you know entrepreneur residence at the University of Toronto uh, at Scarborough, yeah. you know the hub there was is the was the only uh, regional center for for uh, Scarborough. Whereas downtown has a huge variety of services. Uh, York Region has the exactly. oldest tech community in Canada. Durham is pumping a lot of yeah. capital into you know uh, into um, Reinvigorating uh, this, uh, um, you know, the the the, the township. Um, so we were surrounded by all these uh, startup services, and I found a lot of entrepreneurial folks from uh, from Scarborough, which is naturally, you know, full of immigrants and and, and hustle-minded people. They were all going to you know exterior places to get support for their companies they were founding or working on, and uh, you know, a lot of people that I would talk to at incubators in different areas, you know, they're from Scarborough. So there's definitely a, a need for this, and kudos to you guys for taking on this initiative. Um, Thank you. Yeah, funny enough, like I actually pitched Stan, uh, Stan Muzalingam, the the CEO of uh, CSI, back in 2013, my uh, my first technology wow. company. Yeah, so I brought him wow. brought him into the University of Toronto where I was working on my first app project. It's like my third company, and you know it was one of my first time pitching people, and I was trying to explain to them this concept. You know, I had no idea how how technology worked. At the time, I had a neuroscience background, a degree. Uh, I had a sales background, and career-wise, you know, I was like 24 at the time, and I was trying to figure out how to make an app. You know, apps were pretty yeah. new. <laughs> I just got on a smartphone, like only for a few years, and I wanted to build an app, right? And I, I found like a like a really niche product, and I was trying to explain to him like this is what I want to do, and you know, there's so much lack of resources. One. Uh, even like for startup help, there was so much l- lack of resources, right? There weren't even websites you can go and f- find materials on. Like, um, you know, yeah. even like legal help and stuff like that. There weren't resources back then. And I was blessed enough that I found uh, that the University of Toronto started this new uh, center, the hub. And uh, I, like uh, as legend goes it, I was uh, apparently the first person to come knocking on that door because I was looking for resources. <laughs> I was actively looking for resources. Yeah. And I came in there. And I was able to get, you know, uh, a, a, the space to actually work on my project, and that meant everything, because because like it gave you validation that your project means something, that there's an institution exactly. behind uh, behind your like stupid little idea, right? And you have the space to work on it. And I remember bringing Stan uh, Stan in, and he brought one of his friends who was like a like a geo uh, geospace like uh, uh, sp- like specialist in like GPS technology. Yeah. Because uh, I was telling him about my, I, I kind of gave him a briefing of it, and they both came down Nathan. and I had this, Not- Nathan. Yes, I haven't talked nothing, to him in a while. Nothing, nothing. And uh, I haven't uh, talked to him in a while, but yeah, and together I had this whole pitch about how it's going to work. And like, you know, and there was a complete disconnect because I'm talking like, you know, abstract thinking and they're talking about like hardware, like 
you know, how is it going to work? What, like, what, like, you know, what are the financials? What are the projections? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> right. And, you know, it opened up the, open up the floodgates to talk more about this and keep, keep in touch. But one of the yeah. coolest things is like that came out of it. Like, you know, I got to talk to, talk to him. I talk, I talked to like Kula Selvaraja from uh, Newton, you know, about the need for like more research startups, you know, even though they end up support, like end up like, like, uh, uh, funding my project or, or working on it, right? The fit wasn't there. Uh, I'm like the appetite was definitely there, or the need for it was there. So it's it's really cool to see things come full circle. And now CSI, you know, opening up yeah. this innovation center, it's really cool. Exactly, and uh, no, and Stan is very supportive uh, of, of you know entrepreneurship, and that's his passion as well. So that's why this is what he wants to do next with his uh, with his life and career and mm. not too right. This is what he wants to focus on primarily. So it, it's nice to have people who have that uh, appetite, as you said. And Nathan is also part of the Mosaic, uh, so one of the companies you'll see on the website, MOB and Softronet. So that's what Nathan's focusing on. So providing you know platforms for charities, providing platforms for real estate builders. So those are two main verticals that he's uh, he's been focusing on after building a core engine uh, that pretty much brought you know brought up his own programming language mm. and you know he's one of those tech geniuses who just uh, develop cool stuff so he bl built a whole new platform whole new ecosystem and building apps on top of that right now so there's a lot of cool stuff that's going on and mosaic lab already has a space that's allocated including this boardroom that you know lots of money has been spent into creating this space for entrepreneurs and startups to come and use as as they need so amazing uh, it, it's time to really put it to work, right? Because yeah. it's been already ready. The space, the space has been allocated in Scarborough. It's a huge space, and you know, uh, where is it located? Uh, Birchmount and Elsmere. Birchmount and so Elsmere. Wow. Fourteen ten. Yeah, fourteen ten Birchmount. Okay. Uh, so it's between Elsmere and Lawrence on Birchmount. So it's right in Scarborough. Yeah. So it's accessible. Yeah. No, that's that's amazing. So can you talk a little bit about the programming? I know you talked about it being like a, a almost like a rolling. Um, like a, a rolling cohort methodology, right? So a lot of incubators take on a set number of companies, each cohort, each year, or each like a semester program, and they run through a program. Um, you know, those are generally programs courses. Then there's like ideation level ones that, you know, just open up a space and allow you to work. That's what the hub was. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about yeah. the programming? So one one is the, the traditional incubator model where we take in a small number of uh, companies that we wish to help to grow significantly and make, you know, invest in as well, right? The other one, you're just really accessing our services as you need anything. So it's almost like going to, like walk-in customers kind of thing. Yeah. You're, you're walking customers essentially where you're coming and saying, hey, I got this problem, I just need help from somebody and we're here to help. That's, that's what it is. That's really the model. So there's no like, uh, there's no like formal uh programs per se but if you're a startup and you got a problem you need help with you just come in and we connect you with one of our advisors to help you out simple as that what you, what problem you're dealing with that you need help we help you with it that, that's what it is right yeah uh, so there's no there's no formal trading that may be part of it based on your need but you know nowadays people have uh, limited time and limited very specific needs so we're trying to target to help with those specific needs rather than put through a structured program and impose that on everybody. Yeah. It's, it's there if you need it, but you know, it depends. It's catered to the individual's needs, right? Yeah. I mean, those boutique services are really, uh, really, really important for, especially for early stage companies. Um, have you, yeah. is there any, any, um, you, any cases that you can talk about any particular company that gone through, uh, that, that, uh, you know, you've worked with yet? So, uh, you know, I, you can see like on the website already on Mosaic Labs website, uh, some of the companies that, that are going through it. Mm -hmm. I, you know, some of, some of them are reaching some significant milestone, but I, I obviously can't talk about it. But if you look look into them and you go on their website, you will see some of the significant milestones they're reaching at the moment. Perfect. Uh, so, yeah, so I, I'll kind of leave it at that yeah. and, uh, for you to kind of uh, and let the audience kind of do their digging and research. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, so, but it, it is in the, you know, it's still a very few startups, very few companies, right? Yeah. This is still an early stage, I would say. It's been, you know, we've been informally, CSI has been informally investing and supporting these startups for a few years. In the case of Northern, that's been almost a decade in supporting uh, another company called WeTrack, who you can look into as reaching some significant milestones right now. 
and that's been a few years as well. So, so you, you can see there's some traction that's happening, but again, small number of companies, but meaningful, meaningful support, meaningful contributions. And now we're trying to open it up where you can be enrolled as a part of a structured program, or you can be just accessing us for whatever specific problem you're facing. And I think that's a better, that's a more accessible model. So then you can now help hundreds of startups. And the same way I'm helping on the legal side, right? I have startups who are at the very early stage uh, who are calling me and saying I'm faced with this problem. So I'm giving them advice on the business and legal side of uh, what they can do. And it's not, you know, I'm not doing this just to, you know, clarify, like I'm not doing this for the money only, you know, obviously I got to pay my bills. I got to, you know, I, gotta, I have, you know, this is my career, but it's not always very lucrative too, right? Because startups are struggling and they bootstrap, so they don't have enough resources, but I'm committed to growing with them starting. I, I get joy out of helping because this is my area of interest, right? This is my hobby and passion. So you grow with them, you, you know, and then when they reach significant milestones, they'll have significant work, hopefully that I can be part of and helping them out with, right? But I get joy out of doing this and that's why I'm doing this versus taking on a traditional corporate law route where, you know, it could have been more lucrative, but this is, I came into law to do this essentially. Yeah. So I'm, I'm doing what, what I'm passionate about and I'm happy. I'm happy to do it. That's great. A lot of work, a lot yeah. of time, but, uh, and I have a supportive wife, so I get to do it. <laughs> of course. Even though it doesn't pay, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily pay that well to do what I do. Right. Yeah. No, uh, that's, that's, that's admirable, right? Like being, being really, in, um, being really passionate about what you do, I think, is uh, one of the testaments of life, right? Being able to enjoy what yeah. you're doing and uh, being knowing that your what your your services have value, right? Exactly. So, yeah. So you know, you're 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 starting a lot of different things uh, at the same time. You know, it looks like that's a pattern in your life. You know, going from the you know multiple degrees now to the multiple initiatives. You have this incubator. You have have your own boutique law firm. Anything else you're involved? with? I think that's already a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's already a lot of projects to be involved in. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so this, you know, my law practice, the CSI work, the Mosaic Lab, Mosaic uh, uh, Mosaic Ventures. And uh, besides that, the only other work is like thinking about the legal tech startups in, in terms of what are the problems I can solve yeah. by providing software or platforms for lawyers and consumers in the legal industry. Yeah. So that's the real, that's the other big one that I'm spending time thinking, but I'm not in a rush. Like all of these things, it's not that I sit there and plan, this is how I'm going to go. And I just go go with the flow, but I, I, I just work hard. I, I, I work a lot uh, and I do what I enjoy doing. You know, I, I do have a life outside as well. Like, you know, I have two young children, so I spend weekends, you know, weekends I try to avoid working. I spend time hiking every weekend. Yeah. Uh, taking photos. Uh, so I do have a balanced life in that sense, but weekdays I work I start my day very early, 5 a.m., and I work late. Uh, so it's having the discipline, and you just do what you enjoy doing. Uh, so these are the projects I have on the go, but I don't like, uh, I don't really go. I do some investments as well, and you know, obviously, as many people are doing, uh, whether it's on the startup side or on in the stocks and things like that. But that's very, you know, not that much. My main focus is still on the entrepreneurship thing, yeah. side of things, and. Uh, you know, really, all it is for me is I'm just I, I'm always grateful for the opportunities we have. Mm. Right? I, I didn't plan to be in this. I didn't plan to be a lawyer. I didn't plan, but I'm just grateful for, despite the challenges and obstacles I faced in life. We're in Canada, where we're given the opportunities to do whatever you want. You could either choose to be, you know, you know, just enjoying life and not being productive, or you can be productive and enjoying life too. And I, I'm always grateful for what I have, the education, the work, the family, the mentors, the support, and I want to make the best out of it. I want to, so I want to be productive. So, and that changes as time goes. I keep my mind all, all open. I always work hard and I keep my mind open. Yeah. So six months, if you talk to me again, I may have a project that I'm working on. No doubt. I'm a project manager. No doubt. Unfortunately, that's how I'm built. Yeah, yeah. It's engineer, engineering you. Uh, engineer, but also when I did the engineering, most of my work, I worked at Microsoft as a project manager. I worked at BlackBerry as a project manager. So even as a subset within engineering, I was trained as a project manager. So I'm always good at juggling different projects and getting things done. I'm, I'm a driven person. Uh, who just juggle different things and get done somehow and lose a lot of hair in the <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we're part of the same club. Don't worry, the entrepreneurship <laughs> club. But um, 
So uh, you mentioned legal tech, and I think uh, that's something I really want to touch on. You know, um, legal tech okay. is such an interesting subset of uh, of technologies because the legal industry um, is by nature really really um rigid right it's very rare to, like like it really changes uh, and it's it, it's built on like older infrastructure and, and it's built that way a lot of bureaucracy yeah. but uh we we got we we're fortunate to be in, very in touch with um the legal innovation zone at Ryerson and a few companies okay, uh, nice. yeah the, the few companies have come through there and you know it's a real pleasure to talk to a lot of the legal professionals who are now having their own startups in a very niche category of the legal industry. They they found some place where they can automate or uh, apply some technology um, to to change things. So one of the first ones we had was Sean Bernstein from um, uh, Minute Books. So they're looking to digitize and um, and change the minute books that corporations keep, especially large enterprises, especially law firms. Um, and that was really interesting to see how you would take such a challenge and, and automate that. Uh, recently, we had. Um, um, we had a guy. Uh, we had an Anatoly from um, a Pact. So Pact was trying to make a. They're trying to make a messenger service for yeah. um, for that that has contracts in it. So you can you can talk like a te- like like WhatsApp. You can have message back and forth between a client or a person, and all those messages can be tuned into a contract. Can be can be brought back into a contract. Can be can be uh, can be sourced. Uh, and once the contract is agreed upon and signed, all the backlogs are there. And more importantly, once the agreement is there, um, you can actually download as like a, as like a file, as like an actionable file, the full record of that that can be used in legal proceedings if needed, right? So those are like those are like cool, really cool innovations. And outside of that, I mean, there was a another individual we talked to, not on air, but I had a chance to talk to from the UK. He was a law student. Mm-hmm. And what he discovered was that uh, in fighting legal, uh, in uh, fighting uh, traffic tickets, uh, a lot of the same arguments are used over and over again. So when you hire a paralegal, when you hire a, uh, a lawyer, they're using a very almost like a template process of fighting a particular tickets. And he took that and he built an automation system so that people can scan their tickets and it'll scan the ticket and it'll tell you based off of what happened, like, you know, what is the template of how you yourself can go to court and argue your case based off the knowledge of, of uh, of, uh, of legal professionals, right? And he's kind of uh, democratized legal knowledge in that way. And his like, yeah. and that startup, like he built that during in law school, and within three four years, it sold for about six million dollars. Right? You know, he sold to a larger wow. firm and he moved on. And you know, he came back to Toronto and and he's moved on to different ventures. So it's it's in so legal industry definitely is ripe for disruption. What are you seeing in it? What's what's interesting for you? Yeah, so as you say, legal innovation zone is, is a great place to be. I, I plan to be more connected and more active in that. My article in principal, Monica Goyal, was one of the mentors there. And she herself uh, was involved in a legal tech uh, startup as well for my legal briefcase that just got acquired by a bigger company, Caravel Law, uh, recently in the last few months. So yeah. she's now part of this bigger firm that acquired her legal tech company. So, you know, uh, the, and I'm aware of different people. So, and I, she was actually teaching a legal tech course at uh, Oscar, and I took that too. So I'm very connected with the different uh, projects, the different uh, uh, different initiatives that uh, legal tech in the legal tech space in Ontario, particularly. Uh, but still, you know, this is still. I wanted to do my own law practice to be able to really get my hands and be, you know, wet and really understand what the what are the gaps, right? But uh, from my understanding so far, you know, it is ripe for disruption, as you say, because the consumers are becoming more and more sophisticated, and they 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 are open to doing a lot of uh, a lot of self self served. Uh, they they're comfortable using a lot of self served tools, right? Mm. But they still would like to have the benefit of getting the legal advice from the lawyer in some cases, or in many cases they 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 come to that at a later stage, or they want to minimize that and they want to do more things on on their own. But the regulations are there in for a reason, uh, where you know law legal advice can be provided only by lawyers. Uh, in, within Ontario, and that's we're regulated by the law society, right? For a reason, right? Uh, uh, but there's legal information that can be provided, and so a lot of these platforms, there's a limit in terms of what they can do. They can provide tools for lawyers. They can provide tools to make it easier for individuals. They can have platform for a lot of self-help things, uh, uh, services, but it still cannot be considered as you know, none of these platforms can 
really see that they're providing legal services uh, mm. because only the lawyers can do that. But in, in t- with time, we don't know how things are going to shift and how how regulations uh, could change. But at least within that context, there's a lot of disruption that could be done further in terms of what additional services can be available to the consumers uh, where, where they can do it on, them, on their own. Like incorporations can be done uh, by yourself in, uh, on, uh, without getting the legal advice. If you're comfortable doing it yourself, mm-hmm. you can do that. You can, you can download all sorts of contracts and agreements and customize it yourself, right? Uh, but so a lot of people, that's all they can afford to pay for and do. Uh, whereas if they went to the lawyer, they got to pay for the legal, you know, they got to pay for their consultation, right, for legal advice as well. But I think uh, there could be hybrid models where there could be more platforms online to enable more information, more legal information to educate the public mm. about what they can do, how things work. Like you can have tons of legal information in and platforms can do a better job and tools can do a better job of educating the public. So enabling them to do more things on their own without necessarily coming to the lawyers for everything uh, or paralegal because there's some services that paralegals can also provide. And that's also regulated by the law society and the specific things that you can go to them for, for, for help. But there's a lot you can do on your own if you're comfortable, right? So more public education, is needed so that people to enable people to do things on their own, whether it's entrepreneurs or the general public. So I think more and more of that will happen mm. where people just like learning from YouTube and so on, they, they can be learning uh, different skills to do things on their own. And, um, and, and, and I think lawyers can uh, become more specialized in terms of providing specific services. So we call that in legal term in the law, we calling we call it unbundling of services. So rather than retaining to do everything, we can provide specific things. So this is like something that I'm I'm interested in uh, exploring this space in terms of you know for example you know wouldn't it be cool where you 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 a lot of people are already kind of doing that they're reaching out to me saying hey you know what I I already customized the template and I have an agreement in place I just need you to review that mm. and give me your comments on whether I'm doing the right thing. So now you don't have to hire me to draft the whole thing, you, you went ahead and did something on your own, you're going to come to me to review that. And I can have a network of lawyers to, to do that, maybe, right? And then we can help with that specific need. So our time is better utilized and you can be learning things on your own. But sometimes we may be having to tell you that, hey, you did this whole thing wrong. There's all these issues that maybe you should let, it, let us do it or, or go try again, right? But it's empowering or enabling the consumers to do things on their own and lawyers taking a very specific work by unbundling the whole thing rather than being retained to do everything from A to Z. For people who can afford it or people who are comfortable doing that, the lawyers will be can, can continue to do that. But for others who are who are more, you know, go-getters and they want to do things on their own and then come to the lawyers for specific needs. So that kind of hybrid model will be will, will pop up more and more, I, I think, where we become even more specialized mm-hmm. in what services we provide. Uh, but but tools, you know, as some of the examples we mentioned are tools for minute books and so on. Uh, you know, there's tons of tools that can be developed. Right now, it's a few large corporations that are kind of dominating the tools and platforms. Even I worked on before. I, I think uh, this is before I had the idea of going to law school. I, I worked on uh, building a platform that focused on the sales and marketing needs, uh, like building the con- you know converting the lead to you know CRM to a customer relationship management tool specifically for the legal industry. This is nine years ago, mm-hmm. right around the time I was thinking about law school, nine, 10 years ago. So, you know, that kind of, you know, that kind of tools could even be useful even today because there aren't, there aren't too many options for the legal industry to do the CRM piece of it or the matters management or, mm-hmm. or even the communication part, one of, one of the other, you know, like communicating with the clients or the clients to engage and log in and see, giving them apps and portals to view what is, what's happening with the file, being more transparent. And that's what I'm really interested in. If you see my practice, if you go to Suresh Law already, my practice already, is already embracing a lot of technology, everything from the intake process. You have to do a lot of work yourself. You log in and fill, you, you fill out the form for the intake form so that I don't need to have uh, a staff to take care of, you know, asking you those questions to type it in. So that keeps the cost down for you as well. I don't have an office. A lot of people, first question is like, where is your office? I don't have an office. I don't need an office right now. If I need one later, I'll get it. But 
this is helping me to keep the cost down and I'm able to get the work done still and mm -hmm. we can meet over chat and tell me what your problem is and how I can help you and I work on it. But if I have more overheads of having a lot of staff, a lot of uh, you know, big office space, then I have to charge that back to the client in one way or another. Right? Yep. So I'm keeping the cost down by leveraging. This is COVID is helping with this, right? We are somehow forced to work remotely for the, for, in many sectors uh, uh, and we are adapting to that. So even I think the legal industry is ripe for disruption even there that we don't necessarily need to go to a lawyer's office all the time. You can be doing things remotely, letting the lawyers do what they do, which is to do the work, right? Uh, sometimes having the office could be a distraction too, where you constantly have people coming in and you don't get enough time to work this way. You tell you, you can meet remotely and you get the work and you can focus on getting things done. So I think the, even the, the delivery of the legal service could, is, is ripe for disruption, partially because of COVID, right? And people are going to get used to that and be, be more productive mm. in some sense, right? Uh, uh, so, but so that's why, like, but you know, when people ask me, almost every phone call I get, where's your office? I have to answer the question. I don't have one, but it's helping me keep your cost down. Yeah. Uh, but I think soon that's the model people are going to turn to, where it's going to be a lot of remote work, and that will help people be more productive. Mm -hmm. So there's two in, you know, what. So the moment we're going to do remote work more, even for lawyers, tons of tools can be introduced uh, uh, to, to facilitate that process better, right? The communication with the clients, the engagement with the clients, the work you do, the transparency in billing. So if, you, if I'm retaining you, well, how do I, the clients also struggle sometimes to understand why I have an intake form. Well, that's compliance. We are regulated uh, profession, so we need to do the client intake properly. We need identification. So all of this, we need to educate the public that that's the process that lawyers have to follow. But we can build forms and tools to make it easier to educate the public about that, right? Uh, so there's tons, tons of tools, and, and clients are interested when they sign the retainer of how their money is being spent, what is the estimate for the work that's being quoted. All of that, there's tools that can be built to make it, you know, make it more open and transparent. So by tech, with technology, I'm already using a little bit but I think I have a long way to go in embracing technology into my practice. But that's at, at my core. Like for me, I'd rather take longer, but I want to make sure I embrace technology in the way I provide the legal services because I am the pilot. Like this is a pilot project. Suresh Law is a pilot project of how technology can be embraced to provide legal services uh, to people that's more affordable, more transparent, right? And, you know, if, if thing, whatever I figure out here, I want to push that off as different solution for other lawyers and to, to, to change the whole industry, to make it to, for society to benefit from it. And that's why my mission, I put a post today on social media that says I'm on a mission, on a social mission to serve the underrepresented communities, mm. particularly the entrepreneurs, like with the special focus on entrepreneurs, right? So who have limited resources, who have tons of ideas, who are trying to disrupt various industries so i want to help them get there and that's with the use of technology right so uh, the same can be done in the legal industry by leveraging technology and i'm using my own law firm as a pilot project essentially yeah yeah no i mean i think that's um, very admirable because it's so necessary um the unbundling of services i think is really interesting um and what technology allows us to do um but like unbundling of services into like more more like specialized services, more ad hoc, more boutique services. I think that can do a lot to revolutionize industry, um, especially when it comes to startups, right? Like for, for entrepreneurs, you're so strappy when you're starting a new new thing. Like you're so like cash strapped. You're you're trying to manage your burn rates. That um, you know legal sometimes takes a back seat. And that can be very unfortunate. There's so many people who's lost out, you know, lost fortunes, lost their livelihoods, lost their companies and business just because they weren't properly protected. You know, what happens uh, if uh, tomorrow you get hit by a bus? What happens to your company? You know, what happens to your shares? Um, how does your partners get uh, get access to things or your spouse, right? Like all these things have to be taken into account on top of, you know, what happens during a deal and uh, how, to, how to move forward. And so I, I particularly um, I, I'm really uh, interested in, in, in seeing how you like pull through with this because I've been I, I personally went through this. Right. So back in 2013, when I tried to launch my tech product, um, I remember like, you know, being completely bewildered how to launch and run a startup because well, one of the one of the and one of the experiences I've had was, um, you know, I, I pitched 
at the National Business and Technology Conference. At the time, that was Canada's biggest technology conference. And um, I remember I, I bombed that. That was like my first like actual pitch. And I, 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 I didn't even place. Like, um, I, I got kicked out the first round. Uh, but it was an amazing experience. You know, here I was on a stage, this huge screen behind me, displaying my like my presentation in a room full of 300 people. Most of them were like, you know, investors and, and senior uh, senior people. And uh, failing there really ignited me. But one of the really cool things is I walked off stage knowing I bombed. Like I was horrible. Yeah. And I walked off stage and I was approached by two lawyers from two different firms. One of them was Canada's oldest firms. It's over 100 years old. Um, at the time, it was called uh, Ard and uh, Ard and something else. Now the company's uh, new partners are there, Ard and McBurney. And one of the, one of the lawyers approached me and says, "Like, hey, you know, um, you know, great job up there. Uh, your product sounds interesting. Um, love to talk to you more about this." And then immediately right after, another lawyer came, and this was a lawyer from uh, Labarge and Weinstein, which is a technology-focused firm. Uh, who has offices all across Canada. And they're like, hey, you know, great job up there. Um, cool concept. Love to talk to you. And both of them uh, were able to, were offering, uh, offered like a $10,000 package um, in legal services. And, and, you know, and for me, I was like flabbergasted. I mean, here I was, you know, like first time as a tech, talk, tech entrepreneur, completely bombed my first pitch competition, still only in concept, didn't have an app, didn't have any hard substance. And these two massive firms were like offering services to me and yeah. you know at 10,000 sounds like a great bulk but I ended up going with Labarge and Weinstein um, you know for various reasons I ended up choosing them but those services got eaten up really quickly like within within a, within a within a first uh, within a few months um, I was actually able to attract my first investor um, uh, with Ethan from uh, from um, Libera Group actually Right, I was able to pitch my former boss too. I don't know if you know. Yeah, that I remember. So I, I just I remember. Was advisor. Yeah, I was an advisor to Vadis, and he's the yeah. CEO of Libara. Very good man, and he's also big in entrepreneurship and supporting entrepreneurship. So absolutely. I mean, what a guy! Like, I I remember being at the Hilton um at a convention room, um at a random a random event. I don't remember why I was there. I think my parents dragged me to it. And I was on my phone, kind of like in and out. And he came up for in the keynote presentation, and he started talking, and he just gripped my attention. The way he just like talked about his story and development was just so different from what I'm here used to hearing from minority leaders. And the way he talked about community and supporting other people, but really, really enjoyed his his uh, his story of how he built this company. And the moment he walked off stage, I just ran up and just uh, shook his hand. Like I, I, he was actually heading for the door, then I cut him off. Right, came around the corner, cut him off, and I, I love this story because um, what I had, I, I didn't plan for this. I, I, like you know, this is after a series of failed pitches, both in competitions and, and to other investors. Um, really, when Toronto's uh, tech scene was still really new, and he was this like you know Tamil billionaire you know, of, of a billion euro dollar company from from the from the Europe here doing a presentation, and he's heading out the door. And I cut him off, come come in, and I went to shake his hand. And I shook his hand. I'm like, hey, sir, that was a great speech. Shook his hand. I didn't let go. I like I came in closer. And like other people were trying to talk to him. And I kind of like used like my body like nudge, nudge people away, getting closer. And I kind of gave him like a 60-second pitch, you know, like the classical training at the time uh, kicked in from the hub, the innovation center. And I gave him this pitch. And he just like pulled back and he's like, that's it just looked like that was that's interesting. It's like I'm staying. It's like he's like I'm staying at the at the penthouse suite. Um, talk to my assistant. Set up a time. Let's talk tomorrow, right? And he pulled his assistant, and he's like, and he, and he uh, get him to me, and I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And booked a time for the next day at one at uh, one o'clock. Um, like you know, no, sorry, eleven o'clock. And I remember this because what I did immediately was when I got, I booked a room in the Hilton. Right? I'm like, he's here. I'm gonna stay here. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be close to the action. I uh, luckily had all my laptop and all my uh, like all my stuff in the car, uh, you know, moved into the room and started working on my pitch and all that. Sit up all night, and around five a.m. I came downstairs in the lobby, just kicking it, and like five six a.m. and he was having a private meeting, and I was able to like sneak into the meeting and hear him talk. And the cool thing he did was like right after his like presentation, like you know, he was talking to a whole bunch of like senior leaders in the community. He's like he pointed out to me, he saw me in the background. He's like. He's like I'm talking to that uh, that that young guy, 
um, soon about his company and about possibly investing. And suddenly, all these other senior leaders are like, oh, what's your company? What are you, what are you working on? Can we, can we come in on this? So that was really cool. But like, you know, that pitch ended up going really interesting. Um, you know, he, he, he committed like, you know, uh, like an angel round to the company. Um, funny enough, me and, me and Travis and, and, um, and the guys from Menu, we pitched like right next to each other, like, you know, one after another. So in the lobby, we're like waiting to go up and like all, all the other uh, entrepreneurs came up. You know, Travis Ratnam, he came on, Knowledge Hook just raised like $20 million, right? Uh, a Series A. Uh, a menu went off in a different direction, but all these were like different, like early stage tech companies at the time, yeah. and we all went in one or another. And he committed to this, but immediately after that, what I needed was holy shit! Like you know, when he said yes, like to the, I, I was so unprepared. I was so prepared on the pitch, on presenting the idea. Like, what do you do after? How do you structure a deal? You know, like what does the what does the agreements go in place? Like, how do I protect myself? How do I make sure, you know, like you know, like everything is good? Here, he he, yeah, he wants to help people, but at the end of the day, he has a, a multi billion dollar infrastructure behind him. How do I, you know, at twenty four at the time, uh, how do I compete? So luckily, I, my ace was you know Labarge and Weinstein with their ten thousand dollar package, right? That I that I just gotten like a few months before. That all those services, that entire package just went up just to like triage this round, right? And that that just put me in perspective, you know, that's pretty like that the ten thousand. If they didn't give me like they actually, um, if they didn't give me like a pay forward method, like you know, we're gonna give you these services and you pay us back after, right? When you when you when you have capital, like when you become revenue positive, that was the package they offered me. That was really cool, yeah. you know. And um, but I'm like, if I didn't have that, easily ten thousand dollars could have just gone into just like you know one third of what I would raised from um, you know. Uh, and what have just gone right into legal services and it always okay. stuck with me I'm like oh my god legal is so expensive how can I navigate this and even within that field like I had to take a pause from even the building of my company to go and educate myself on you know just like the nuances of like uh, of like you know contracts and knowing the different terminologies and one of the things I learned that I had to go out of my way to learn right was like okay. Um, something called the right of first refusal, right? So as an investor, the right of first refusal is a very powerful term. And it, it's just like a one line in like a multi-page document. And with that, with that, with that, uh, with that, uh, uh, with that power, it gives investors the ability to liquidate preferences, right? Higher than uh, subsequent investors. And they can, the, you know, they can like liquid, they choose liquidate or like say no or control what happens to their shares uh, before uh, in priority, and that always stuck out to me. And you know, in my uh, in the years that followed, whenever I talked to startups and stuff, I always brought up that term. You know, it, it, working at the innovation center uh, at the hub, it's a very early stage innovation center. They after I graduated from the center for my company, they brought me back as an entrepreneur residence. You know, I ended up staying there for about seven years. First with my company for the first three years, and uh, three and a half years after that as an advisor. And I always brought that term up, that uh, this term I learned that just like a magical sentence within this lengthy project that gives a lot of power if you know how to, if, if it's utilized correctly. So, you know, the idea of like legal, legal knowledge and knowing it, you can't just rec depend just on a lawyer or, or services. You need to know a little bit of a framework yourself to know what you ask for, to know what's been given, right? And to be expected to be taught, you know, by your, uh, by your legal advisor or by, 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 by your lawyer is, you know, it's billable hours, <laughs> right? Exactly. So knowing, knowing, uh, knowing um, you know, at least uh, the foundations of legal knowledge, it's so important for any, every entrepreneur. So I completely agree with you on like, you know, democratizing that and, and making that easier is definitely important. Exactly. Because that also will enable people to appreciate how, how complex the work that lawyers do is because sometimes people can also underestimate until they have a problem that, hey, the contract, I can just use a template, but you got to know what, what you're signing, what you what other words you're putting in there, what other terms you're putting in there, because it, it will matter in some cases, right? So uh, so when you're trying to learn it yourself and getting more familiar, you'll appreciate the the vast knowledge that lawyers have. Uh, and, you know, knowledge is powerful, so everybody is entitled to try to learn as much as they're comfortable learning. Uh, but you know, and you will appreciate the time when you're taking them from the lawyer because sometimes people expect the time for free too. That mm -hmm. you know, this is what we do. So you, everybody has has a profession and they have a specialization, and you have to respect that 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 
you have there's a fee to pay for that service right there's a value you're getting for that service so you have to pay for that accordingly as well right so uh, but you can try to learn a lot on your own so you you can better make use of your resources that you have to so you go to the lawyers for the things that you really need the rest you can try to do yourself or you manage accordingly right but to try to go and expect to be taught by the lawyers for free uh, is also not reasonable you you know there, there's give and take right in terms of some you have to do yourself some uh, you, you can go to the lawyers to get the assistance from yeah but but Radisson, yeah that story that, that uh, that's an amazing story very similar to how I met him, you know, Dan Hilton, I met him and he hired me on the spot to be, at that time I was trying to do my law school, uh, I was trying to start, I didn't even start the law school, so I told him I want to do law for this reason, he's like, okay, uh, can you move to London, UK? I said, nope, I got to do law school here, he's like, okay, well, you can be my advisor and help to find tech, uh, like uh, tech companies to invest in and, wow. and help them grow. So Knowledge Hub was actually the first project that I worked on Amazing. with for Radisson. Uh, so... Uh, you know, from there I went on to Lancaster to, you know, to, to be the CEO to help with an exit strategy for them. And that also was completed. So, but Radhisen is an amazing person. I'm always very grateful for Dan for giving me opportunities here. And at that time, Stan also offered me the same opportunity here. But I, and Radhisen gave me that opportunity on the spot to be, you know, to work remotely and advise. And, you know, people who take the chance to, not the chance to give you the opportunity, you have to appreciate it, right? And, that's why I say, you know, when you when you look at my past, I'm always grateful for all the support and for people who believe in me, who gave me opportunities. And I didn't do any of this alone. It's it's, it's a family, it's a community, it's it's the people who believe in you. Uh, and uh, people don't have those opportunities in some parts of the world, right? Like yeah. where, where, where we were born. And if I was, you know, if I, given the context we were of how things were in Sri Lanka where I was born, maybe we wouldn't have these opportunities, right? So. You always have to be grateful for what you have and make the best out of it so that p- other people will also benefit from what you do, what you contribute. It's a collective effort, right? Absolutely. And that's what keeps me going. It's when others believe me to give me every opportunity that I have, it fuels me to keep going because I want to do, I want, like, I feel the best way to give back and to show my gratitude is by making the best use of all the skills and experience that I have so that I can be, be of assistance to others, right? So. You know, it's a it's it's a team team effort, right? We help each other uh, to build society, right? Yeah, um, I, I, yeah, like. I think what's really pivotal is like, you know, especially being a minority, like having other minority leaders support you. It it, it it's different, it, you know. It's very meaningful. Um, yeah. Right. So especially that's why I'm so thankful people like Radisson for uh, even Stan, right? Just being a, a you know a pillar of the community to like you know support others and provide that structure. Um, because you know it's it's validation, right? Especially when you're young and scrappy and trying to uh, trying to come up and do something new, um, to have somebody you know reach down and support you and help pull you up, that means everything, yeah. right? And exactly, yeah. and uh, the next thing is the paid forward, right? Paid forward to the next generation, yeah. to the ne- to the next youth and uh, and the people yeah. coming up. Yeah, and it's it's beyond to like even this morning I posted that post about me, you know, my mm-hmm. vision of helping, my mission of helping, you know, like the social mission of helping. Uh, the underrepresented communities and Alan Query, who's the chair, you know, who, who, who runs a successful communications company in Waterloo, he shared that and he said, you know, this is a great man. And then my former NBA Laurier director, Hugh Munro, he also posted, he made a comment, I think, on LinkedIn or Facebook saying you'll get the full value out of Suresh. You know, you know, it's great to have his ongoing support because yeah. it's positive. You know, positive energy helps you keep going because it's not always easy it's not easy to juggle this many things it's not easy to wake up every morning and work this hard sometimes you you do feel down and and when other people believe in you other people continue to give you the support that keeps you going it that, that and you know i'm really i really believe that that's one of the reasons why i keep going is because i'm blessed with the support of others and i mm-hmm. try to do the same by inspiring others that it's not just about getting four degrees, but it's uh, like, I, I don't think, you know, I didn't plan that. And I don't think that's the whole picture. I think it's just about being productive, yeah. focusing, working hard, being the best you can while living a life. People like Radhisen and Stan, learning from them on how to be humble, even when you have a lot of resources, how to give back and how to be humble, how to invest in other entrepreneurs. These are things that you learn from others. So I hope through the work I do, 
uh, you know, whether it's my children or others to also see how I'm productive and, and how I'm giving, you know, how I'm co contributing and the type of life I'm leading, the values I hold. So you try to inspire others to also be productive. That That's it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And one of the things I love about our industry, the innovation industry, is that how close knit it is. Like people just want to support like if you're if you're exactly. if you're working on novel things like cool things working on great ideas people talk and the people support like like uh, exactly. if it's just as simple as sharing a post or just connecting with you um, everyone's so much more willing to talk and, and having worked in so many different industries myself you know with a sales career like the innovation industry is very different in that it's like everyone is trying to solve really challenging problems and they feel the pain of that they feel the weight of it and so it's like it's like a mutual respect Right, the mutual respect definitely hangs the field, and if you, as long as you perform and do well, their support will always be there. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Perfect, Suresh. This has been great. Thank you for joining me on the show. Uh, this has been a really insightful episode. Um, stick around. We'll do a quick debrief. But for everyone who listening in, thank you. Thank you very much for having me, and I really enjoyed a lot speaking and uh, learning a lot from you through in this session so i really appreciate it thank you for reaching out to me and asking me to be part of this and i really hope the audience also gains something and feel free to you know reach out if you need any assistance or any legal service or any, any ideas you want to bounce off i'll be happy to be helping in any way i can yeah how can people reach you what's the best way so I, my website, so Suresh.law, is my legal service, uh, my law website. You can go there and uh, reach out if you need legal service. You can book a consultation. There's a client intake form as well. Uh, or I'm on most of the social medias. LinkedIn is the preferred one, like LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram, but preferably on LinkedIn you can send messages. But my email is also Suresh at Suresh.law if you want to get in touch with me. Perfect. All right. Thank you.